This is Career Competitor, and it is the podcast that believes we all have a competitive self that drives our optimal performance in our careers and within our lives. My name is Steve Meller, and in the past 15 years, having been a coach to high performers, Olympians, business owners, executives across all walks of life, I have come to find that competitiveness comes from within. And I'm going to be using this podcast to really showcase how competitors from all walks of life are finding optimal performance and have built the careers that they have today. Hello and welcome into this episode of Career Competitor. As I record the introduction for this episode, very short on voice, I'm still incredibly excited to be welcoming in Rob Trependal to the show. And Rob and I are going to dive into a number of things. We're going to cover his history, his whole story up to what he's built within his organization today. But some of the key areas that we're going to cover, firstly, we're going to discuss the importance of seeing circumstances exactly as they are. Secondly, we're going to look at how the way we receive help influences the quality and longevity of change. And finally, we're going to look at the role that systems can play in support of those dreams that you're going after. So I'm excited to dive into this and much more with my guest Rob Chapendall on this episode of Career Competitor. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Hey, before we carry on with this episode, let me bring your attention to a link that you'll find right there in the show notes so that you can subscribe to my monthly email. It's just going to give you some awesome insights on who it is I am, what it is I've got going on, and maybe there'll be one or two food for thoughts in there that can stimulate your process, get you to get a little unstuck, get you to take a little bit more action, and maybe get you a little closer to optimal performance as you start to shape a stronger version of your optimal self. Go ahead, click that link in the show notes so you can become part of the ever-growing email list that's receiving this awesome insight each and every month, courtesy of me and courtesy of Career Competitor. Now, back to the episode. Okay, our career competitor today has been an entrepreneur for over a decade, having established his own landscaping business back in 2012, and he and his team have been making neighbors jealous of the work they do ever since. But while on the surface, that might seem like a fairly straightforward tale of business ownership, our guest is here to shed light on the turbulence that can accompany entrepreneurship as he sets out now on a new venture of becoming a coach, specifically to business owners that have lost their way and need to reemerge from where they are in order to build a business and life where they can thrive. Our guest is also a podcast host, a husband, and a father of three, and I'm delighted to say we are here with him today in person at his digs. It's my pleasure to welcome in Mr. Rob Trependall. Rob, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, man. I'm glad to have you on. This is uh, long overdue now. I've, 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 I've probably canceled on you twice or rescheduled on you twice. <laughs> and we almost had to do it again today. And we found a way. And I appreciate you just having me um, here. I love being on location where you're based because it really puts immediately into picture what you have built in the last 10 years. So just let's start with the company that you are, the company that you've built, uh, everything that sort of we are 
fortunate enough to sit in here today. Talk, me, talk to us all a little bit about the company. So <clears throat> currently, we've got about 18, 19 employees, kind of varies a little bit. We've got six that are in what I call my leadership team. Mm -hmm. So that's three full-time in the office, three that kind of bounce between the office and the field doing estimating, customer service, things like that. And then 11 or 12 guys in the field. Um, and we've got about 2,000 uh, residential uh, clients in the Baton Rouge area that mm -hmm. we, we take care of. A big thing that we do is we take care of lawns. We make them beautiful. Our tagline green grass, dead weeds, jealous neighbors. So we're pretty good at that. <laughs> but uh, we do a handful of other residential services. And um, yeah, it's been a good run. Yeah, it is. And I, when we first met, you, I feel like in the space of like five or 10 minutes, you, you pretty much gave me the whole insight of just what you built what you were building, how you were sort of envisioning it becoming and changing and shaping your entire life. And then you acknowledged quite quickly when we first met how it felt like you just built something that was such a juggernaut and that you were so invested in it and that you almost lost yourself through the growth of the business. And I really want to dedicate some time, a significant amount of our time here today to exactly that part of your story because we don't talk enough about some of these hardships within the work that we actually do, especially when we build businesses. I think we we touch on them at times, but I know you're very comfortable sort of diving into a lot of this stuff. And so I would love to see if we can maybe go back in time a little bit here to maybe when you first started to anticipate, okay, I'm building something here that is slowly taking over my life, that is slowly starting to become this machine, this entity that I wasn't necessarily even anticipating it becoming. Talk to us a little bit about that first, you know, almost revelation and then that heightened awareness when you noticed things were getting big. Sure. So I'll take you to a key moment and then we can go a little jump backwards. Let's do it. So the key moment is my wife and I are in our car. We I don't think we didn't have any kids yet. It's the summer of 2016. We're driving to the beach to go meet with some friends on like a week-long beach trip, a much-needed vacation. I've been working 70 to 85 hours a week for the past few years. We'd recently been married um, only for less than a year. My wife married me as Rob the businessman, but she didn't know that I was Rob the failing businessman. Yeah. And so we're on this beach trip, and we're talking about wanting to have kids and the future, and she's and she looks at me, she's like, listen, this lifestyle can't sustain. Like you're, you're not bringing home any money. I know your business looks successful, but we both know that you're living off of my social work salary to meet payroll. And, you know, you're working all the time. You're exhausted. We have friends over. You're falling asleep at dinner. Like this has to change. And I just, for a year or so, I've been like, we're so close. We're one project away. And she's like, honey, like it's not, it's not happening. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, She's right. And I knew it. And so I told her, I said, Megan, I want you to give me one year. Give me one year to turn it around. And if not, I'll throw in the towel and I'll go work. I'll go get a regular job. I'll go work for the man, whoever it is. And I'll sell the business for whatever it's worth. It was worth it at the time because of all the debt. But, mm -hmm. uh, and I said, I gave myself a timeline of one year. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that the clock was ticking. So that was like a line in the sand. And, so I'll, I'll I'll step backwards now a little bit before kind of how we got there. Right. So started the company in 2012. I finished. Some friends and I did a paddling trip on the Mississippi River in 2011. We did the whole, we paddled the whole river, 
as a fundraiser for some charities. And then after that, I was kind of like, I didn't really want a traditional job because I was kind of like living the river rat life and we were going to make a documentary and just kind of live this alternative lifestyle. Well, the bills started piling up and then life happened, you know, 23 years old, but my dad's like, Rob, what's your plan? Are you really going to travel the country with a documentary you haven't even made yet? And I'm like, "Ah, hot dog. I got a (laughs) reality just hit me like a ton of bricks fresh out of college, you know, and my dreams are melting as I realize I got to pay rent and it's not going to happen with the documentary. So, Dad hands me the keys to the family tree farm, which is just a little hobby business that was barely profitable. So I do that for a few months and it's okay. It's my introduction to the green industry. But within about a year, I realized this is not what I need to be doing. But people asked me if I could do other services, Mm -hmm. if I could do landscape. And I just said, you know what? I can figure that out. Get on YouTube. So I just, I just figured it out. I shut the tree farm down after nine months, opened Trepanol Landscape in May of 2012. And I just jumped in. And I had this thing, I made this sort of deal with myself. I said, Rob, you don't need to make money for five years. Because I knew that most businesses didn't. You don't need to make money for five years, live off beans and rice, and build up your reputation and your revenue. But don't focus on profitability. It was just this conversation, I talk to myself kind of in third person sometimes. (laughs) And I'm like, Rob, just buckle down for five years, grow it as big as you can, as fast as you can. And then in five years, figure out about money. Uh, and I was like, okay. So, you know, kind of, uh, the conversation went well, it was very quick. And I said, <laughs> I will do this and no idea what I'm doing, but I knew that I wanted to run a bit, grow my own business. And I always had wanted to do that. My dad's an entrepreneur, my mom, now both my sisters. And so it's in the blood. So I gave it a go. In those first few years, we grew pretty quickly. Yeah. It, what I set out to do did happen pretty quickly. You know, had a pretty good network of friends and family from, you know, private school or whatever connections we had. I leveraged all those, went down to literally the phone directory from school and church, and it worked. Um, no no profit, but lots of revenue. <laughs> we're growing, we're growing, we're growing. I don't know how to manage. I don't know how to hire. I don't know how to fire. Right. I don't know how to market. But I know how to make a yard look good. Mm. And I just make a lot of mistakes and learn as I go. Right. So we get to 20, that point in 2016, building up to it, revenue gets up to one and a half million after just three, four years. And I'm thinking I'm the king of the world, but the truth is too many, too much money is going out the window. I'm overpaying people. I don't know what I'm doing. And I thought to myself, oh, if we just get to a million, if we get to a million dollars, we'll be good. Well, I got to a million and I was in more trouble than before. And I'm working harder, working longer, you know, and it's just, nothing's working out. And the, here's the real challenge is the shame that came with that. Cause all my friends think, Oh, Rob's killing it. They're all over here. They're in grad school. They're going to go be uh, doctors or lawyers or whatever. And they're not really enjoying grad school, but they're kind of living off student loans and they're kind of doing their thing and mm-hmm. they're partying and staying up late. And, and, and I'm working 80, 90 hours a week, waking up at 4 AM every day. And they think I'm killing it, but I'm not, I'm grinding it. I'm hustling it. I'm kind of bragging about how much I'm working um, but I'm not killing it and I've got a new marriage and I've got employees who own me and I've got bills that are way higher than my revenue and I'm struggling. And I start driving down the road and looking at guys pushing a lawnmower and thinking to myself, I wish I was that guy. Mm. Meanwhile, well, what do you think happens when you build a company that's not profitable for five years? Debt. <laughs> that's how you fund it. Right. Beans, beans and rice can only get you so far. Right. 
you get married. We bought a house, you know, I had a really good project. First year we bought a house and we got all cocky and pulled a lot of money out and said, <laughs> we're going to put down 20%, man. No PMI for us. My right. wife, I married Dave Ramsey, which I didn't right. know at the time, but she, <laughs> meanwhile, I was Mr. Debt. Um, so she doesn't know that how much debt we have, but she knows what it's piling on. It was almost half a million dollars. Some of that was that high interest stuff. Yeah. I got those phone calls. People call you say, hey, do you want $250,000? I said yes, yes to those phone calls. 40% interest, loan sharks. I did that right. multiple times. Yeah. It was horrible. And I didn't tell my wife. Mm. Only my uh, office manager knew. This is embarrassing telling you all this, but I've told the story enough times that I think it's helpful for people to hear Absolutely. this. You know, But I was so ashamed at how the business was failing and about the debt. And about upholding this image to my friends and family that I was actually doing better than I was. And that was crippling, very isolating, very. I could I, I can't believe that I, I kept my wife so out of the loop. But I think I was a newly married man and I just thought I I need to I I didn't want to burden her. Right. You would be provider. Yeah, the the failures of the business, even though she clearly knew that we weren't making much money. Right. Um and it, it we kind of hit the five year mark and I was like, uh-oh, where's the profit? <laughs> and I was like, how do I figure that out? Okay, so that kind of builds us up to that moment. Right. And um, so the clock, the clock starts ticking. Yeah, I. Uh, that is some great insight. And there is so many different directions I want to go now. Um, and it's, again, th- these, are the, these are the stories that, to use a word like shame, is important because it personalizes something that is supposed to be this sort of professional endeavor that you've gone on but that's a very personal emotion shame it's not wrapped around the business it's not wrapped around your identity maybe i I mean i don't want to speak for you but this notion of you the ceo or you the entrepreneur it's this is shame is almost attached to your role as a husband at the time and and to those people that you love that's where the shame as you were mentioning there is uh you're you're directing that shame almost or associating that shame sorry towards those that mean the most to you and i'm i'm curious like obviously your wife played a big part there by saying like listen i'm going to push you here into doing something you you got to commit to doing this differently otherwise we're done with this and and you made that commitment to say one year one year I'm going to get this done. How did you overcome the shame part as you started to tackle the professional part? Did you carry the shame with you through that that one year that you talk about? Or were you able to just simply put it to one side and, and, and focus on, hey, I got this one year deadline and I'm going to go after it right now? Like, How are you able to go on with that sort of burden of shame, if you will? It's a good question. It was actually a motivator. Mm. Right. Because like the shame was here on one side telling me it wasn't just like, Rob, you're failing at this. It was like, Rob, you are a failure. Right. Mm. I'm a three on the Enneagram. So my work performance often dictates my identity. It's a very deep thing. However, I the shame was strong enough where I was alongside the shame. I had this relentless optimism. Right. So it's sort of the uh, I think Jim Collins talks about it like the the uh, stock uh, something. There was this general that was in this. uh, I I can't remember the Stockdale principle or something like that. It was this general that was in Vietnam. I'm not comparing myself to him. I'm just saying we have similar belief. And, And he was a prisoner of war for like eight years. And the way that he survived was he had this idea that 
I will prevail in the end, but I'm also willing to confront the brutal facts of everyday life and get past them. And I think I have somehow, even at that time, I had that kind of belief of like, I know that I will prevail. Um, it's going to be challenging. And in the moment I am filled with shame, but I do believe that I will prevail. It was, so it, it was kind of that dichotomy within me and maybe it was delusional, but I've always been an optimist mm -hmm. and I always believed that I could, that I could make it. Um, I didn't need to have a plan. I just, I just knew that I'd, I'd meet the right person. Something would happen. I'd hoped it would happen sooner mm -hmm. and I'd hope that it would happen before I met my wife. It didn't, but I still believe it would work. I think cause I'd seen my father and his eventual success in entrepreneurship. And I said, Oh, we're kind of wired similar. I think, I think I'll figure it out. I just, I always knew it would work. Mm, I knew, I knew that it would work. I didn't know how long it would take, but now I was like, well, I got a year. This is the real deal. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I think so many entrepreneurs, they, they have this, I mean, I had this idea of like, if I just work harder, if I just grind and grit, but I ground myself to the bone, there's mm -hmm. only so many hours you can work in a week. And so I knew, okay, this is not about working more hours. This is about changing the way that I do business. So it's very open mm -hmm. to a change, mm -hmm. but I didn't know what was going to happen. So fast forward, that conversation happens in June, 2016. We go on our beach trip. We come back. I still don't have a plan, of course. But fast forward, just a few months, October, one of my suppliers says, hey, Rob, do you and Megan want to go on all expenses paid to a NASCAR race at Talladega? Mm -hmm. Megan's like, free trip. We don't have any money. Great. I'm like, okay. So day one of that trip, I'm sitting in the booth on the track, like super nice, sweet setup uh, with one of my suppliers. And I meet this guy. Actually, my wife, Megan, meets this guy and uh, named Garrett. And we, she introduced me to him and said, Rob, you got to hear this guy's story. And so I, we, we, we talk and within a few minutes, Meg, uh, Garrett's telling me about his business and how his landscape company and how it has struggled. You know, he turned it around and how it, in just three or four years, he paid off all his debts. And now he used to work a lot and now he works very limited hours. And Meg is like, listen to everything he says, Rob, <laughs> this is what you need. So I did. So I listened to what he said. Yeah. And then like we went home and then I like wrote him a letter, said, thanks so much, Garrett. And Megan's like, no, 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 no. Like, like you need to do everything that he says. Right. So I drove up the Shreveport four and a half hours north, two months later, like the day after Christmas, December 27th. And I sit down with him and I say, you know, I need your help. And, and he said, you know, and, and, and for, he'd already offered my help. And I said, why are you willing to help me? He says, because other people help me. I said, okay, okay. And I showed him all my numbers and the whole deal. And he goes, oh, Rob, it's way worse than I thought. He goes, well, we can do this. And he says, look, here's the deal. You got to remember this. Day one, he says, we're playing chess, not checkers, man. This is a long-term game. You're not going to win overnight. And he said, enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the journey. It's even gonna, in that hardship. Even, even in the hardship. Yeah, he says, yeah. look, you're going to start making changes right now. It's going to be hard. You have a lot of hard phone calls. Mm -hmm. Just stick with me. And we're going to do this together. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did this at no charge. It was just, uh, just, a, just someone to be helpful. Because he saw where I was and he knew exactly where I was. And that began the journey. And um, it was changing everything. Yeah. I was, was he able to relate to the shame? Did he ever reference that? You know, he is, we didn't talk that much about that, oh. the emotional side of oh. it. He's a bit more practical in oh. that regard. He was just kind of an OBS like, hey, you're going you're gonna to call these 20 people that you owe money to and tell them it's going to be six months. So we didn't really get into that side of it. Well, that's interesting that that 
that is the while you reference the optimist that you naturally are there's a directness there to that other voice now that you've been able to introduce back there and i think if i'm keeping with the dates we're still in 2016 end of 20 yeah still yeah. end of 2016 and so now you have this actual voice not this inner voice an actual voice telling you this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it mm-hmm. and it almost removes the temptation to be pulled by the optimists and by the shame. You yeah. don't, you know, you're not being burdened by either of those. There's no chance. There's no chance. You just have to move forward. You just have to move forward. I love it. that. And yeah. so, what a gift. Uh, and so he says, "Look, you owe you owe a bunch of people a bunch of money. You need to call them and tell them you're going to pay it, but you can't make any payments right now. Mm-hmm. You're just going to say, listen, I, I've got to keep my business afloat so I can pay you.'" He says, "I called all these big commercial projects that we had bid on in one. He goes, tell them all you're out." You got to focus on residential. You got to focus on high margins. Dude, you got to change your whole model. You're going to have to, that guy who's running your business. Nope. You got to fire him. You sell off all your stupid, fancy trucks, all your fancy stuff, all the stuff that you're paying expensive notes on, sell it all. I was like, he goes, bro, it's going to be a lot of hard calls. Mm -hmm. I was like, he's like, are you willing to do it? I was like, I don't have any other choice. Interesting. That, that, that for me. So I, I I really want to stay here now because I think anyone, if, if, Anyone listen to this? When you're competitively driven, there's going to come a time where you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice, and, and I think we're. I think in this day and age, specifically, this message is so important because I, we are. We were joking right before we got started here that here you are, and, and I'm sure we'll get to this. You know, moving towards this idea of a coaching business and, and building that for yourself, like. And here I am now, 18 months into mine, and the one thing that we have such a wide array of options with is choice. It's just just choice, choice, choice. Everywhere you go, you can do it so many different ways. You can invest in so many different things to support what it is you're trying to do. And in this moment, you were told, I have no choice. This is the only way to do this, to get out of the situation that I'm in. And, And again, I want to emphasize that now to anyone listening, that there is going to be times, whether you're talking about a career or the building of a business, to just simply pause and say, enough with the choices and enough with me trying to sort of sugarcoat how I can do this and how I go up. There's going to be moments where you need directness, where you need to say, hey, this is how it needs to be done and there's no point me trying to find some other fancy or lighter solution. This is going to be tough. It's going to be difficult and it needs to be done. How quickly... It's kind of a loaded question, I guess, because I'm assuming that you you did get used to this, but how quickly were you able to get used to those difficult calls and, and, and all the adversities I have to assume that maybe came with that turbulent time? Or did you ever? Did you ever get used to it? They became less uncomfortable as I made 30. Mm. You know, the yeah. first two. Now, I'll say the shame's carried into that, right? So I'm calling someone that I owe $50,000 to or 30000 or whatever. I'm saying, sure. listen, I know we have a good relationship. I know that I paid everything on time. I need you just to give me a little grace here and trust that this is the best plan. And that if if you don't let me do this, I'm probably never going to pay you back. And just being super direct and honest, be like, listen, my business is struggling. I'm just going to tell you. I promise I'm good for it. Just just give me a little time and I'll pay it about all back in full and interest and everything. And so it was so many honest conversations. And I'll say, let me fast forward back to the time between meeting Garrett and me going up there in Shreveport was two months. And, and I was like, I can figure this out. And Megan's like, no, mm. you've tried to figure this out for four years. 
You're not going to figure this out. You're not one project away. You have to change everything. And you need to listen to somebody who's willing to help you, who's been in your exact shoes, who is telling you what you need to do. You have to listen. And I, I didn't want to do it because I was like, I wasn't like, oh, get out of jail free card. I was like, I had this, you know, this pride as a man of like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm so close. And I see this with entrepreneurs all the time, right? They're like, they just, they refuse to confront the brutal facts of where they're struggling. And they try to just like muscle through it. Mm-hmm. It's like tennis. Like you can't muscle through tennis. Mm-hmm. It's finesse. Right. You've got to give in to the form. And so I just, Megan was like, go and see Garrett. And I was like, it was like there's something inside of me had to die mm-hmm. where I was like, okay, I have fully given up on my way of doing things and I must surrender. It was a surrendering is really yeah, a good term. Yeah. And so by the time I got to Shreveport, I was like, just like, I'm ready to hit a reset button. And everything he said, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Cause I'd, I'd had that internal dialogue for a month of like, okay, I'm ready to reset. And I cannot go home to my wife who I'm hoping to have our first child with within a year. I can't go home to her and tell her that I'm going to muscle through it. I have to go home and tell her he gave me a plan. I'm going to follow it. And so I did, you know, and, and, and I'm so glad that I did. So I made all this hard phone calls and I started implementing the changes. I mean, it was multiple hundreds of thousands of jobs at big apartment complex and big, and I, I had been bidding the jobs for six months and they were about to start within a few weeks. And I called up the contractors. I'm like, I know I won the bid. I know I'm vetted and did everything like that, but like, you're gonna need to find somebody else. And they're like, why? I'm like, I'm changing my business model, man. I, um, I have to switch to, I got to take care of my family. And every single one of them was like, good luck. I appreciate the honesty and I wish you all the best. Every single person I made a hard phone call because I was super honest with them mm-hmm. and they all met me in that place. Honesty. I love it. I mean, it, golly, it's just, it, it should be that simple. It should be. It should be that simple. And and in your, you're telling us in your, st- in your story and on your journey, it, it, it was that simple. There, there was, well, I said, I don't want to say it was just completely simple, but the, the, the simplicity of the communication and, and what honesty was able to do for you in that time. Uh, but something I don't want to brush over is that ability to get help is that it's one thing to need help. And this is, this is one of those things that, you know, we, it, it, no matter where you are, we all need help in some way, shape or form. Some of us admit that we need to get help. And then, but then the, the, the final step is the receiving of the help and, and you willingly receive the help. And, and this, that is an element of growth. I have to assume that from that moment on, were you, were you a changed business owner or were you a changed man? Like, did you, did it go one step further in terms of like that, that moment for you to not only have someone in your corner, like your wife and just saying, get the help, you need the help. But then for you to actually sit there, take a breath and be like, I have to just keep saying yes to everything this guy's telling me to do because I have to just receive this help. Like, did that shape you simply as a business owner or did it even go one step further and shape you as a man too? It's a good question. I, I think that that teachability, that be, that willingness to be taught, is a trait that I've that I've le- kind of grown up with and learned. And so it wasn't something that I learned in that moment, but it was something that was validated in that moment, right? So I I tried to always be open, and it takes a certain amount of humility to you know uh, remind yourself that you need help. And, and then of course there, there is that, yeah, there's this saying I need help. And then there's a willingness to receive it. And I've, I've watched other people in my life who I believe to be successful. And it seems like the key to their success is their willingness to learn and grow and listen to feedback. 
You know, a lot of this comes straight out of Proverbs, right? Like, like a wise man doesn't rebuke counsel, you know, it's just like, okay, I, and so now that's, you have to duel that because there's a pride on one side that says, I have it figured out. And then there's the, the willingness to hear it. And so there's that internal dialogue is always battling. It's just a matter of which voice I listen to. But in that experience, it definitely validated the importance of being teachable, being coachable. And I think it was a springboard for that quality in me to rise and to occur more often. And also that experience with, so turning the business around through listening to somebody else gave me, you know, pretty quickly the freedom to be able to tell this story because I didn't have to say, and I turned it all around. I gritted through it. No, I had to just, I I had to admit to anybody who I told the story that like, as I'm doing now, like this wasn't, this wasn't something that I welled up or came up with. I totally gave in and died and I let someone else guide me. And I simply did what they said. Now this process was simple, but it wasn't easy. Right. Mm -hmm. So very simple concept of getting out of the big commercial project, simplifying, focusing on higher margin residential services, you know, telling all your debtors, you're not going to pay them. That's a simple thing. You could write that in four bullet points. But the execution, painful, you know, but like I said, no other choice. And within six months of making those changes, the business began to change. I could feel it. It wasn't the first week or two or three, but it began to change. First of all, I didn't have to make all the debt payments for a little while. So that kind of freed up some cash flow. I started marketing on Facebook and various platforms and dialing in other services and looking at my numbers and that year, the end of 2017, we we turned a profit for the first time ever. It was actually was five years. It was funny, like started 2012. So I guess it was around the five-year mark. And also tw- 2017, we had our first child. Right. And the cool part about it is being super honest about this. So I'm living on my wife's salary. She's a social worker, uh, retired now. But or semi, I guess I don't know. She's like thirty eight. Well, she's retired. She'll do something else after the kids leave. Right. She's very busy with that right now. That's more than a f- three full times jobs. But so we're living off of that kind of. And I would begin that year, twenty seventeen, for the first time. I could take, I could like pay myself like a little bit, like a grand a month, right? Like just a little bit. Okay, I wasn't borrowing so much money from her anymore. Maybe a couple thousand. And you know, we didn't li- need a lot to live on. You know, we had bought a house the year before when I was feeling all cocky. Um, and we had a you know a decent mortgage, but the rates were good, and no more. And we 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 didn't need a lot to live on. And so the first month, we wanted Megan to be able to quit her job so that she could stay home with it, with Evangeline, our first daughter, who was coming in September. And it wasn't it, that that had to happen. It was just an ideal situation. We knew she was going to take off for a few months. And the first month that we were able, the business was able to support our family. The first month ever in history was three weeks before Evangeline was born. Wow. It was like this provincial thing. We're getting on our knees just like praising God. Yeah. Like there's no way. Wait, wait. I need – how much do we need? It was like to the dollar, like how much we – it was unbelievable. And so not only was there obviously an emotion relief, but there's financial relief. And pretty quickly, we're talking about seven months after the change. The changes began January 2nd. And you know we're in August. I don't know, eight months, whatever that is. And already like my life is changing Mm -hmm. that dramatically, that quickly, you know? And so obviously when you've experienced like that turn of events, 
you think, well, let's keep doing that. Absolutely. And so, you know, now it's 20, 2023. It's been six years since that turnaround really became visceral and I've stayed the course. Right. And of course, that six years involved a whole lot of changes. And I had to, there's a whole conversation with me telling my wife about the debt and all that stuff. We had a debt counselor. We went through all that. We don't have to go to that rabbit hole unless you want to. And that, I had to confront that shame with her. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually told all my friends this story, which is in, it's so funny. You know, what we often feel are the things that are going to drive people away from us are the things that draw us close. Mm-hmm. And so when I start sharing this rather intimate story yeah. to friends and family, they're like, A, like, thanks for sharing. And B, like, why didn't you tell us when you were in it? We would have been there. We we would have loved you in your in your shame. And I was just like, I just, it was too much of a scarlet letter. I couldn't, I didn't, I wasn't willing to bring people into that part of my story when it was happening. Because it was, I was just too ashamed. I was trying to uphold an image that I thought they wanted to see and an image that I thought I needed to be. And that's crushing. Yeah. And I relate. Uh, I relate. It's different. It's a a completely different story. It's completely different situations. Uh, But I relate. And and I think for me hearing that, all I think about right now is anyone listening to this that is on their way, that's established, that's struggling, whatever it might be, there will likely be some stuff going on at some point within your world, within your business that you can share even if you think you're not able to share it. That's kind of what I'm hearing right here is that yeah. it's, it, it, seems the, it seems as though we should always carry the burdens because it's like, well, this is my problem. I created it, blah, blah, blah. I got to deal with it. But, and I, I've been the beneficiary of this the same way that you just shared with us that you have. If we share those burdens when it's too late, whether the burden has crushed us or we've managed to somehow single-handedly overcome the burden or privately overcome the burden, there will be people on the other end that don't, they don't necessarily want to congratulate us for overcoming it. They almost are frustrated. It's mm-hmm. like they're like, why wouldn't you think that I could be a resource to yep. you during this hardship? And mm-hmm. so I just want to really emphasize that now. And it's what I love about this show and, and the directions we go is that you can listen to something like this and be like, the show's called Career Competitor. You guys are kind of in a bit of a, you know, you're in a bit of a dark place within this episode right here. It's like, well, no, no, it's like, this is competing. This is career. This is life. This is how you get to where you want to get to. It's not a straight line. It's not easy. And there's elements of all of this that you have to carry with you and go through in order to get to where it is you are. And you're literally the perfect example of that, Rob. It's like you, you've you've had this moment over a five-year period in the first half of the business. And now you are where you are, where you have three kids at home and bills are being paid and life is good and you guys are traveling all the time and and like you've got options that you could maybe never have dreamt of having mm-hmm. i'd have to assume and Absolutely. And, and so for for me to 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 hear you actually say that on the back end of the hardship to say that there were these people in your world that were like i'm glad that you overcame it but man like why not share with us while you were going through it so i'm just curious here you are now at least five years removed from those times, 
how do you use the situation and the position that you're in today to maybe help other people that are going through a similar time? Do you find yourself as a as a valuable resource? Do people reach out to you now that you've gotten more public with your story? It, have you become almost like this beacon, if you will, of like, hey, if you need something, come to me. Like, have you have you been able to position yourself in any way like that? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I, I definitely have, and. I think it goes to many areas of our lives uh, uh, to willingness to be vulnerable. And I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Yep. You know, she taps into this and she, you know, Brene talks about the difference between shame and guilt. And I'll go down to a quick rabbit hole in that. And, and so she says, guilt is when you feel like, like you should have done something that you didn't do. Like you didn't call somebody on their birthday, but you should have, it's your best friend. Shame is because I didn't call them. I'm a terrible person. It's a big difference between that. And so what I've learned in my life is that it really to separate, you know, my learning to separate consciously my performance from my identity. And and I try to help others find that. And so whatever areas that people in my circle of influence are in or people who are kind of outside of it and they, 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 they're on the edge of the circle. And I try to encourage them to, yeah, to, to tell your story where you are, to, to be too, super honest, because truth be told – you, you can invite people into your story in that moment. And they if they can't help you get out of it, at least they can get in the pit with you. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. My friends, a lot of my close, close friends who didn't know what was going on, they actually were kind of alienated by my perceived success, right? They thought I was – I had my act together so much, they almost like – couldn't connect with me. Sure. Whereas if I'd been like, bro, I'm super struggling, like our friendship could have been much richer and we could have gone to the depths of, of what real relationship is about. And so, but it's hard to do because especially men are often unwilling to admit when they're in it. Mm -hmm. It's easier to admit when you, when you, that you used to be in it, but when you're in it, the ability to call your close friend or your wife or whoever and say, I'm in a dark place right now and I don't know what to do, but I just want to invite you into my story right now. That is something that, that men in the West are not good at. <laughs> no, nope. uh, but, and, and this is my point I was, I was making earlier too, is that the ability to do that is actually a competitive advantage because it, is. it, 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 it actually puts you in the minority. Yes. To your point, it puts you in the minority. Yeah, it's a skill. <laughs> it it's is. honestly a skill to develop. And if you can begin to foster that skill, the level of personal and professional growth that you can tap into is unparalleled mm -hmm. because you'll you'll be a magnet for people who are able to and willing to and want to help you. Mm -hmm. And so talk to us about how you've become that. I mean, surely you've you've become somewhat of a magnet to, to others now with, yeah. within your world. Yeah, I, I think I think because I embrace the story so much, I think it's disarming. Yeah. Right. And so I I I never want to project myself as Rob the businessman who has it all together. I want to be Rob, the human who has his sort of hero story, yeah. which involved going out to and fighting all the dragons and right. then coming back and being the guy who has slayed some dragons, but is still fighting them right. and who wants to help you with your dragon. <laughs> I know it's kind of a funny analogy, but I try to be approachable and I try to encourage others to, to, speak, to speak when they're suffering and also to still go for their dreams, mm -hmm. right? Because like I had this vision when I first started the business of like, I want to build this company. I, I want to build it. Why everybody wants to build a business, right? They want freedom. 
They want to be able to work when they want to work and do what they want to do. And I wasn't super financially motivated, but I knew I didn't want to be in a nine to five and, you know, follow, have 10 days of vacation for the rest of my life. You know, that wasn't me. And so I had this dream and then four, four years in, I'm like, this is the opposite of my dream. Mm -hmm. But I believe I was like, but I know I can make it. And so I do want to encourage aspiring or struggling entrepreneurs like you, you can make it, you know. But you have to persevere and you have to be willing to share your story. You have to be willing to reach out for help. You have to be willing to bring on a mentor, bring on someone, whether it's a friend or a coach or something, because so many people are willing to help. A lot of them will do it for free. You know, mm -hmm. it might be your uncle who, who, you know, that rich uncle who like lives in Cincinnati, like, let me call Uncle Bill and tell him <laughs> what's going on. Like Uncle Bill would probably love to walk with you through your entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. Business owners who have been quote unquote successful, who have made it through the miry pit and have no, there's nothing that brings them more joy than walking alongside other business owners so they can help them in whatever capacity. And so I want to encourage you, say something, speak up because you really, you really don't have another option. You really don't. And I think that's, that, that is the, um, you use that word before that, that, um, it's, it's escaping me now, but that, that, that ability to just let go, you know, you, you sort of admitted that before surrender. surrender that's it. And, and, you know, you surrendered and just 18 months into the business that I'm building, I have sat down with guys in their thirties, their forties, their fifties, their sixties, and their seventies clients of all those age demographics that in some way, shape or another have looked in the mirror and surrendered to the situation that they're in. And they've decided that they need some help. And it's not always specific to the business. It's not like they're looking at their business and saying, oh, my business is failing. No, a lot of the time it's them saying, hey, I mean, business is thriving, but I'm not, for whatever reason, I'm not thriving. You know, I don't mm -hmm. feel like I'm thriving when I should be thriving. Um, and, and so for me, I think that ability just for us all to stop and look in the mirror at times and say, is there any part of my life right now where I need to surrender what I think I'm in control of when I'm actually not necessarily in control and that I do need that help and I do need to start leaning on some of the some of the form of resource whether that be a free resource something that you're willing to invest in but man I I love all of this and I'm I'm really hopeful that people that are listening like are able to see themselves in your story at least at some part in some chapter in, in one of those you know references that you were able to provide because now what i want to do is just talk a little bit about the future just where you're trying to go now as i alluded to in your introduction and you've spoken with me about this in terms of some of these intentions you now have to well i want i want you to speak in your own words like what what is it what's the next chapter looking like what are you now what's on the horizon for you so the next chapter is the most exciting chapter so the past five or six years, I've been optimizing and scaling. I've been attracting a great team, building a great team. Um, what really began the idea towards what I'm doing now. So, you know, meeting Garrett was like level one transformation. Level two was a book that I read, a Tim Ferriss book. It came out in 2008 called The 4-Hour Workweek. Mm -hmm. And I read that book about four or five years ago, kind of, kind of right was in the middle of the transformation. And I, my wife and I read it together, which we do a lot. It's, by the way, great couples trip. Read books together. Mm. So what we do. And it's amazing. My wife never reads the books I read. So oh, it's it's really cool. We, we've done it like three times. Yeah. And it's – anyway, that's just a couple's hack. Interesting. So we read that book. And the idea was implanted. At this point, I was still working 70, 75 hours a week, right? Mm. But I was, I was on the way 
towards progress. And, and Megan looks at me and, or I looked at her and we said something like, I know we're in the pit right now, but we're making progress. But like, what if we go there? So then I had a very clear picture of where we, like, this is the big, hairy, audacious goal. Okay. Not only do we want to build a profitable company where we can pay our mortgage, right? What if we could build a business that we didn't have to go to all the time? Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about 40 hours a week. I'm talking like literally four hours. Like, what could we do? The title of the book is, is, um, uh, sorry, the four hour work week. And it says how to ditch the nine to five and join the new rich. Mm. And so for my wife and I, um, freedom of time is so valuable. We sure. like to travel and we, we had a commitment when we had our first kid, we said our love for travel will not be hindered by the fact that we're going to have young kids in our lives. When Evangeline first kid was nine months old, we spent two weeks in Montenegro, kind of a developing country in Europe that most oh. people haven't even heard of yeah. with two of our best friends and they're nine month old. And we said, okay, we did it. This is our, we, it was a testing concept. And we said, okay, we will forever bring our kids on an adventure. We're not going to wait till they're five or 10 or whatever right now in it. Cause here's the deal. You're going to be changing diapers and dealing with a fussy kid in your house, or you could be in Europe, mm-hmm. go, to Europe. go to Europe. Now, of course you got to have, you know, a little bit of money to do that. Um, but so anyway, back to the future. So I got that idea. And then it was like, it, that was exciting because it was no longer just the idea of like, okay, can we get out of debt? It was like, no, we're going to get out of debt. Then we're going to sail way past out of debt. We're going to build something where I've got such an amazing team and systems that, that I barely have to, you know, I don't need to be in the office very much. And now that could be people, you, if we want to play golf, you want to hang out with your kids, whatever. But I wanted freedom, real freedom of my time and of place. And so that was like, it seems so ludicrous at the time. I can remember my wife and I talking about it every dinner. So much of this podcast is about conversations with my wife and I, because this is where business happens, exactly. right? You're sitting at home at the dinner table and you're talking about what you want your life to look like. But I think, it, and, and it's an important point to make here is it's okay for it to happen like that when it's about how it's serving you and the yes. family. That because that's that's the underlying theme with all these conversations. You're not going home and saying like, "Hey, it's time to sit down and go over the numbers for the business," just because I want to go over the numbers for yeah. the business. There's always that underlying tone of just like, "This is actually helping us get clearer on mm-hmm. optimizing our relationship, optimizing how we travel." It always comes back to the benefit for the family. 100. percent And for my wife, she was never about growing the business. She was like, "Rob, I don't care how much we make." I don't want you, I don't want, I'd like to be able to stay home. I want to be able to pay the bills and maybe travel every now and then. I don't, I just need you home. Mm -hmm. I want you home in a reasonable time. I want you to not fall asleep during dinner. It was this quality of life stuff. She's like, you don't have to make six figures. I just want you home. I want the real Rob a hundred percent, not the Rob who's all burned up from work. I want the real Rob. I don't care how much we make. And I said, okay. And so I, I, the four hour work week aim was like to give her the real Rob, but hopefully with a little bit of money too. <laughs> right. So for me, I'm like, you know, and, and a lot of people, uh, and a question that I ask in, in my own podcast is, you know, how do you define success? And for mm-hmm. me, you know, I'll kind of answer my own question. A lot of it is just the freedom to spend your time, how you want to spend it. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to work remotely and that's cool. But if you have to, if you're still tied to a particular schedule, it's not nearly as empowering as, total freedom of place and time. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't have that, that you're not successful. What I'm saying is that is the ultimate thing that I think a lot of us would love to achieve in our professional lives is if we build something where we don't always have to be there. And so 
we we set off on that path and uh it happened it didn't happen overnight it took a lot of work and time the most important quality was finding amazing people mm-hmm. creating an environment in which they wanted to be around and be motivated and be engaged giving them sharing profits and those kind of things running an open book company and eventually we when i felt they were in the company's in good hands. We started doing exactly what Tim Ferriss did in the book. He says, take many retirements. So many retirement. He says, look, don't wait till you're 75 to go start living large and taking Alaskan cruises. He goes, take off four to six weeks, once or twice a year, build a business that allows you to take off four weeks at a time. And then, and, and that's the beginning of the process. That's, that's beginning to live in the way of the new rich. Not about money. It's about freedom of time. And so we said, okay, we'll try that. So our first time we went to Hawaii, it was February, 2021. It was the height of whale season. We saw so many whales. We got to swim with manta rays. One touched my chest. It was amazing. Uh, Her name was Amanda. I didn't name her. And it was like, amazing. we brought our two young kids to Hawaii for a month. And it wasn't like like an extravagant trip. We stayed in like a janky Airbnb. And we brought my mother-in-law to help with the kids. And like three days a week, I worked on a different project. I was actually work, writing a book. Uh, and then, you know, one day a week or uh, half a day a week, I, I chimed into the company meeting and it was like gone for a month, came back. They fired a couple people, hired a couple, gave somebody a raise. Everything was good. I was like, holy crap, we can do it. Can do it. And then the next year we did it again. We went to California once again, not a glamorous, glitzy trip. We're not going and like staying at the Ritz Carlton, sure. man. We're getting like janky stuff, like a minivan with a bunch of scratches and stuff. But we're living our life just mm-hmm. like we would live here. We're buying groceries. We're going to the beach. We're doing our exact life here, but in a way cooler place. Yeah. And the company thrived. And so after we did that twice, we were like, well, hell, we could we could just move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, it was testing the concept. And so my wife's been wanting to try somewhere else for a while. And I said, look, California is too expensive. Uh, but it was a great model for daily life because there was like a lot of adventure and just fun discovery, beautiful landscape. So we checked out South Carolina and um, we went for the first time in October last year. We bought a house five weeks later, downtown Greenville, and we're moving in a week, a week after this podcast uh, is being recorded. So probably by the time this airs, we'll be Greenvillians Mm -hmm. and born and raised in Baton Rouge. And I'm going to give up family. I'm going to give up a lot of close friends, but we're looking for that freedom. We're looking for the outdoor things to do. And so the beauty of it is just a few short years ago, six years ago, I was up to my eyeballs in debt. I was working 80 hours a week. Um, my wife was, our marriage was almost on the rocks because I was never engaged and always exhausted. We didn't know if we'd be able to have kids because we didn't know if we could afford them or have time. And fast forward six years later, we're leaving the state and with our three beautiful kids and the business is in great hands. And this is not at all a brag story. It's not like, look at Rob. It's like, no, look at what you can do when you're teachable and you're open and you're willing to invest in yourself and get help. You know, read a bunch of books, podcasts, listen to other people, invest in the right systems. And I think I think anybody could could do this. I'm nothing special. I I I follow the advice of a lot of wise people. I did not follow my own advice. I followed my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I believed it could happen. Right. And I made a thousand it wasn't one decision. It was a thousand decisions a hundred daily decisions to forego short-term pleasure and short-term benefit for long-term stuff. And we're not fancy people, but we do love to travel. And so that may be a long answer to what we're doing. So the future Greenville, I'm hoping to get into executive coaching. Um, I actually picked up my first client this week. There you go. And so what my dream and goal is for the future is 
to take the lessons I've learned, um, the valuable life lessons and business lessons after running a company for 11 years and going through a lot of failure and a little bit of success and taking those lessons and helping other people who have been, who maybe are in that place. Maybe they're where I was a few years ago and helping them to get a little further along. Um, and a lot of it's just helping get that work-life balance back. So that's, that's kind of my dream. And, um, we're moving towards it. And you're sticking to it. I like it. And something you said earlier that really sums up so much of what you've said here today, and it's it's such a beautiful recipe for success, is you said speak when you're suffering and go for your dreams. Speak when you're suffering and go for your dreams. Because when you actually look at that statement, to speak when you're suffering is to acknowledge you need help, is to acknowledge that you need the right people around you, is to acknowledge that you can't do it by yourself. These are all things that any business owner or quite frankly, anyone who's trying to be competitive and or successful in life should be aware of. But then you're also saying, listen, listen to your heart. Listen to the optimist. Like pursue those visions and goals and dreams that you had when you were a kid or whatever it is. And that balance within those two statements to, to acknowledge that you need to speak when you're suffering. So in order to do that, you have to be able to plan accordingly to know you're going to the right people to then go for your dreams, acknowledging the fact that great things are worth pursuing. Success is worth pursuing. I love that as almost an ingredient for the coach that you're going to end up showing up as as you move forwards now, because I hear that in you. I hear that anybody that's going to sit down and work with you as a client is going to have that ability to lean on you as the resource that they're investing in, but in return, have someone who's advocating for them to go for their dreams. And and, and, and there's a beauty to that because you're such a, uh, you are a product, obviously, of, of doing exactly that as we've learned through this episode. But at the same time, you're now positioning yourself with this new business where you get to serve others doing exactly that too. And the beauty of coaching, man, is the return is consistently instant. You don't really have to wait too long. Is that you see someone go away from a great session and, and do um, apply what it is you ask them to apply or what they were able to discover and apply. Um, and that's, the, that's probably going to be the change now between that story that you just told of five years of <laughs> growth and change and progress but man I, I love all this and we've gone a little longer than normal uh, mainly because we're in person and i always kind of give myself that grace when we're in person to not be too tight about the time that we have together um and also because you've got a heck of a story and i really appreciated you sharing it uh listen man before i let you go two things firstly i'm gonna i'm gonna save my last question i'm gonna let you tell everybody where they can learn more about you first so why don't you go ahead and do that Okay, robtrependahl.com is the best place. That's R-O-B-T-R-E-P-P-E-N-D-A-H-L.com. It's long, it's Danish, and there's there's only 14 trepanol males on planet Earth. Wow. So we're a rare breed, Dang. but that's where you can find me. You know, <laughs> yeah, hit, hit me up there. You can find me on you know social media, but I don't do a whole lot on there. Mm-hmm. But the website's the best place. And my last question for you, man, is how do you define a win now? Like, how do you define a win in terms of just a day? When you have a day and you put your head on a pillow at the end of the day and you say, man, today was, uh, today I put it in the win column. How do you, how do you maybe make that assessment? It's a great question. Um, I read a book about a year ago that helped me to re, 
imagine what a win looks like. And it's over there. And it's called The Secret Society of Success mm. by Tim Schur. And the way that I evaluate a win now is if I'm helping others win. And I'm not trying to say that to be sound like some type of altruist, right? But if if I've used the gifts and resources that I have to help someone else make some progress in their life, whether that's my three-year-old, mm-hmm. right? But seeing joy, really what it is is seeing joy in someone else's eyes, right? If I see joy in someone else's eyes and I'm able to pr- either participate in that or help that joy to manifest – that's a win. Love it. Well, we 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 speak from the same uh, we speak from the same gospel when it comes to that man. We're both in that business, and I appreciate the time. I appreciate uh, the hospitality of having me over um, over at the Trependal landscape, and, and again, all the information about Rob about the business, anything and everything you need to know is all going to be shared in the uh, in the show notes. But for now, brother, I really just appreciate the time. I appreciate the candidness, and uh, best of luck in South Carolina, brother. Thank you. It's been rich. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Career Competitor. And before you leave, be sure to take advantage of your free one-time discovery call with me to see how I can be of service to you as a coach or potentially even your team. Depending on what it is you're looking for at this point within your career, I want to be able to serve you with 30 minutes of my time to see how I can be of use to you and help you on your path of continued growth towards your optimal self in order to find optimal performance. Be sure to reach out to me, steve at careercompetitor.com or just head to the website careercompetitor.com. I look forward to connecting with you soon and bye for now.